Would you please join me this morning in taking your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, Acts 12 this morning. Thank you to the musicians, vocalists, thank you for your preparation and leading worship this morning to the church family, certainly enjoyed our time of worship together corporately, and may the songs that we sang this morning go with us through the rest of our day and through the rest of our week, having a song in our heart to individually and personally worship the Lord with. So today, we, uh, I want to talk about a big mistake that has been made, and uh, this is something that we can probably all relate to. We have all found ourselves in a position and in a place where we've made a terrible mistake, and we wondered how in the world we will ever work our way out of this mess. And that's where we come to with our text today. We're going to discover a very poor decision. It was a selfish motivation, and it had devastating results. It was not a mistake that was made and just affected the individual. It had a trickle-down effect that caused a lot of heartache and a lot of problems in the early church and with many godly men. You know, ultimately, as we look at the story today, we're going to see that God takes these messes that we find ourselves in, and you say, yeah, I can see how it may, becomes a big deal. That's taking a, uh, causing a mountain out of a molehill type of a thing. I didn't think it was going to escalate to this volume. I didn't think it was going to go this far. I didn't see the devastating trail that it would leave behind. But today when we look at this, I want us ultimately to see how God makes a very big deal out of giving a second chance. And in our text today, we see someone that at first is described as a man that abandoned the difficult task. He is going to run from the hardship and he avoids the self-sacrifice that he is called to make. And his name is John Mark. And the story that he lives out is pretty incredible. And I'm really excited for us as a church to dive into this today. So let's start in Acts number 12. And I want us to look at verse number 24. We're going to carry on to the first five verses of chapter 13. But the word of God grew and multiplied. It's speaking of in the early church. The word of God was growing. It was magnifying. It brought results. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John, John Mark, to their minister or to be their assistant. As a mentor, traveling with them, he was being poured into and taught. Now, verses 6 through 13 shows us a controversy that Paul and Silas approach here, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas. And then we'll skip down to verse number 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed, they departed from Paphos. They came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. I want to ask you to jump to two chapters, Acts number 15, and look at verse number 36. 
a lot has taken place. The beginning of chapter 13 is about 45, uh, or chapter 12 is about the year 45 A.D. We get to chapter number 15, and we're now at around 53 A.D. So many years have passed. A lot has taken place. And in verse number 36, some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and, and see how they are doing. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, confirming, strengthening the churches. So this morning we look at this, this big deal that God is going to make in a messy life of John Mark. And so this morning let's look together at these texts and see a, a second chance. Father, as we look into the story of John Mark, I know that I sit in the pew next to many today who can relate with John, who can relate with John Mark who can say that they have messed up, goofed, they have missed the mark, and they have left a trail of devastation behind them, and they are desperately looking for that second chance. So God, would you teach us today and encourage our hearts, challenge us, convict us. As we always pray, we want to be molded into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray this. Amen. As we're introduced in Acts number 12 here in this chapter, this is kind of where Mark enters the scene. And this is going to be the account of where King Herod Agrippa I was persecuting the church in order to maintain this favor from the very powerful Jewish religious leaders of his day. Now this king, King Herod Agrippa I, this was the nephew of Herod Antipas, which was the king who beheaded John the Baptist during the life and ministry of Jesus Christ here on earth. So this is the nephew of that king. This king here in chapter number 12 is the father of King Herod Agrippa II, which is the one that Paul had stood before years later and had shared the gospel with him and is the one that responded by, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And so that's who this King Herod is. He has, beginning of chapter 12, he's ordered the execution of James, the, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, one of the disciples. And so he has killed him off, and now he has captured Peter, arrested him, and put him into prison with the same intent to eliminate Peter from life and ministry. So Herod here is really persecuting the church. He has really uh, become a main enemy of God's church. And so the church is going to gather at Mary's home to pray, as we see in chapter number 12, verses 3 through 19. And the church body is meeting in Mary's house. Now, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, the mother of John Mark. This is the Mary who is, uh, is hosting the church in her home, and they are there praying desperately for Peter's uh, freedom from prison, that God would do a miracle. And we, as we read the text, we see what happens. Peter is miraculously released. He comes out of the prison. The angel frees him, opens the gates of the city. He walks to the house, knocks on the door, and uh, they are surprised and shocked by God's answer to their prayer for deliverance of Peter. So a lot is going on with the church. They're in a desperate condition. 
There is this turning point in the book of Acts in chapter 12 and 13. The first 12 chapters speaks much of Peter and his ministry with the early church. And now Acts chapter 13 and on is going to connect the dots with Paul's ministry with the church and planting churches throughout the world. And what's interesting about both Peter and Paul is that they are both connected to Mark. Peter is a family friend. Paul is going to be a teammate pouring into him. And so much to do here in these two chapters kind of set the stage for the rest of the book. So here's the harsh reality. Is Mark, like many of us, has blown it. And he has done it very badly. In the middle of an opportunity to remain consistent, to remain faithful, to remain dependable and committed, he walks away. And so... We're not sure of the reason why he has done this. We're not sure what his plan is. We're not sure exactly how to handle this situation. But what we do know is before we, uh, before we beat Mark up and throw his picture on the wall of shame, we need to discover the incredible story that John Mark lives out and the incredible lesson that God teaches us at the end of this of a very big deal called a second chance. So let's journal his journey and let's see what happens here. What went wrong? What was the end result? Well, in Acts chapter 12, I want us to see this very thought. Failure can happen in spite of our setting. Failure can happen in spite of our setting. Now, he had a good family. In the middle of Acts chapter 12, we see that he was raised by a devout Christian mother whose house was a meeting place for the believers in Jerusalem. Mark was a part of the church in a day when they were being actively persecuted. They were continually hated. They were politically attacked. And Herod had no reason to kill James. Herod has no rightful reason to throw Peter into prison. But the church has become a unified, solid group of people under this persecution. And under this thought, then, is how could they ever be defeated? James, one of the leaders in their church, has been beheaded. He's been killed off. Peter, another leader in their church, has been thrown into prison. This is a desperate place for the church. God was going to have to be their defender. You see, when they didn't have anyone to turn to in high places, they had their high priest to turn to. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, speaking of Jesus Christ, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There are, there are situations in our life where we feel bombarded, times where we feel desperate, we are in a lost condition. And though it may not be outside persecution within the church body, it may be the enemy's attacks in our lives as individuals. And when those realities are there, we have to realize that we have a high priest which knows exactly our infirmities, knows the exact way that we are suffering, and gives us that way to boldly approach him to give us that mercy and grace in the times of need. Now, some of you in here, you have an amazing heritage and history with your family. That's great. But remember that that is not going to keep you from failing. Because with John Mark, he had a tremendous family, and he also had great friends. 
I mean, the mention of Mark's name in this verse, in Acts 12, verse 12, means that this implies some direct connection of John Mark to Peter. Peter knew Mark, and this friendship was one that would prove to be priceless later in life. Peter was the one who had led Mark to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter would have been a mentor to Mark. This would have been something of discipling. This would have been some teaching and instructing, and Peter would have poured into Mark in this way. And yet still, in the middle of good friendships, in the middle of great friendships, this did not keep him from failing. So we all have to understand that though we send up, set up our boundaries and we set up our accountability and we set up all of the things that we're banking on, even in the midst of all of our settings, we can still fail if we're not careful. Continuing in verse number 25 and going on to chapter number 13, we see that failure can come in spite of our surroundings. So the men head out on their very first official missionary journey of Paul's. And as Paul and Barnabas and Mark head out, probably many others with them, they were sent out from the local church with a specific mission in hand, to share the gospel and to see lives changed by the power of the gospel and to be shaped like the image of Jesus Christ. And so the teammates that John Mark has are pretty incredible. Can you imagine rubbing shoulders with Paul and Barnabas serving beside you each and every day? Paul was a man that was bold. He didn't back down. His faith was unwavering. He was smart, wise, knowledgeable. He was a, a strong leader. Then there was Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was his cousin. He was Mark's cousin, Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And he was an encourager. That's what we know what Barnabas to be. So Barnabas is an encourager. He's a friend. He gave of himself. He's a servant, a teacher. He's a listening ear to Mark. And so he was surrounded by greatness. He was surrounded by movers and shakers. He was given this opportunity to be around passionate and compassionate men and driven yet not given up. And these are the men that he was around. The task, the task was a great task. The task was one that they were involved in God's work. They were daily serving God. They were busy doing God's business. So you think, wow, I mean, he's got a great heritage with, fa with, fa with family. He's got good friends. He's got great teammates as he's surrounded by Paul and Barnabas. He is on task, on target. He has been given something directly by God. Everything is lining up very well for Mark. I think we'd all agree with that. It was rewarding for them to see God's work. And it was exciting to see God's results. But in the midst of all of that, something happened. In the middle of seeing God do great things, something was happening inside of Mark. And this is just the harsh reality. You can be serving in God's ministry in his local church. And you can be surrounded by God's people as a church family doing specific tasks from God and seeing things happen often, if not daily, and yet you can still fail. Isn't that incredible? That's harsh reality. The tragic stories have been told and the history lessons have been written of men and women who have sat where we sit and who have lived lives that we live and had family with heritage and friends with accountability and teammates with encouragement and motivation and with a task that was specifically given by God and everybody was on target. 
People who saw God doing something in their midst. And even with all of that, failure still snuck in and devastated people's lives. So with Mark, we find here that failure can happen in spite of our settings, in spite of our surroundings. And how does this happen? Number three, failure happens when we let our guard down. Now, this is not some mind-blowing truth. This is not a truth bomb that catches you off guard, like, wow, number three, point on. That's amazing. I came for that today. I understand that. It's something that we have all experienced before, but I think that in the basicness of that point, we cannot overlook it when we compare and look at the failures of our life and the devastation that it brings. Because the struggle, we don't really know all that happened with John Mark. We don't know the conversations he had with Paul and with Barnabas. We don't know conflict that he, that he had to go through. We don't know the pride. Paul, Barnabas, Mark, these aren't perfect men. So we don't know the pride that got in the way of relationships. We don't know the snarky comments that may have been made on the ship from point A to point B. We don't know the level of competition that was caused because of trying to do the next best thing. I'm not making any assumption of any of this. I'm not trying to throw Paul, Barnabas, and Mark under the bus altogether. I know Paul and Barnabas were great men of God. But we also see later on that they had their own inner conflict with one another, which just shows the human nature that they were men just like we are today. So in the middle of all of that, we find that somewhere along the journey, Mark let his guard down. And with the struggle, I honestly believe that if he had been fully engaged and fully dedicated to the task at hand with his mind and his heart, that he would have never abandoned the mission. When you talk about letting your guard down, that means that you have disengaged your mind and your heart from the task that God has given you. Failure does not correspond and represent with whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Failure, glory to God, don't rub shoulders together. So when failure comes into our life, which we all experience and we all encounter, some of the devastating trails that are left behind are different from one another. We understand that. But when those failures happen, there is no correspondence that says, wow, I mean, they were just living for the glory of God, and yet they committed this failure in their life. No, it does not happen that way. Because there is a disengagement of your heart and your mind that says, I will do this on my own, or I will put God on a shelf for now while I live in the carnality of the moment so that I can gain the pleasure of this season. And it doesn't have to be gigantic. It doesn't have to be an enormous failure. It could simply be by giving slanderous statements or complaining hearts. It could be very simply in just a lying tongue or sowing discord among the brethren in the church. It could be something as bitterness and hatred towards somebody. It could be something that is so quiet in the boundaries of your own heart and life that nobody else knows about and nobody else sees, but it's something that you know very well you're struggling with. And that is the moment where you disengage your heart and your mind and you want nothing more to do with the glory of God. So failure happens when we let our guard down. 
In the Christian life, when the battles get tough, we, we tend to, to slip out at times. Our mind is such a powerful organ living within us, and when our thinking is, is skewed by circumstances, we act and we think in ways that cause us to, to stray and to wander. Those moments begin for us to begin to just, as we're headed down I-4, so gracefully at 65, 70, 75, you sinners at 85 and 95, I know you do it. And as we're just gracefully heading down I-4, it's just those moments that we become so easily distracted and we're not engaged in the moment that we're in and all of a sudden we hear the boom, 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 and we know that's the road that's telling us you're off track get back in your lane or you hear a right and somebody's laying on their horn and uh, you get back on track those are the alerts that are put into our system to help us to stay but too often we have we have blurted out or we have blotted out the alert system that God has put into place it's a voice from a friend that says whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on in your life and we've we've kind of channeled them out it's a horn of the Holy Spirit that's laying on it over and over again. Get back in your lane. Get back and focused. And all of a sudden, we're just straying. We're wandering. And the results are going to be devastating because we were not willing to be alert to get back into our lane. Now, missionary Isabel Kuhn, she used to pray in trouble. And she would pray this prayer. If this obstacle is from thee, Lord, I accept it. But if it is from Satan, I refuse him and all his works in the name of Calvary. Simple prayer, yet powerful enough to keep her mind and heart engaged on the task that God had set her to do. Hey, there's a lot of obstacles we're going to face. And our prayer becomes, God, is this something that you have put in my life to get a hold of my attention, to put me back in my lane? Or is this something that the devil is using as an obstacle in my life? And if that's the case, I claim the name of Jesus Christ and of Calvary to come over that problem. There's no doubt that the trio faced oppositions. They, the, the church is being persecuted heavily, both um, internally, as Paul would write to churches, uh, but also from the outside with false teaching and now politically from the throne. And so they faced relentless struggles, serious illness. The pressures became too much for Mark, and he finally left the group. So when Paul and Barnabas could not agree on partnering with Mark later in Acts 15, the text that is written in the Greek uses this word departed, and it is a very strong word. Because all of us in just a few moments are going to depart from the church building and we're going to go our separate ways and we will depart in good spirits. But this word depart is the word which means deserted. It's the word abandon, to forsake, cause to rebel. Hebrews 3 gives us the same word. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, in abandoning, in a rebellion, in forsaking, in deserting from the living God. But exhort one another, do it daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, sir or ma'am, there are some of you in here who are on the brink of desertion. There are some of you in here are on the footsteps of abandonment. You are moments away. 
you have gotten so out of your lane and the, the speed bumps are hitting and the horns are honking and you have, just, you have just channeled it all out and you are wandering so far from your lane, you are so disengaged with your heart and mind from the things of God that you are moments away from abandoning the living things of God. You are moments away of being deserting all things that are holy. You are moments away from finding this rebellion in your heart and forsaking everything. And the church comes alongside of you. And with admonition from God's word, we come alongside to say, to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the struggle is real, and we know that. And we partner together in that. I don't care if you're a teenager in here or if you are in your 70s, 80s, and some even in their 90s. The reality is that all of us have these struggles that distract us. and We cannot lose focus and become disengaged. And then the unmet expectations became a huge problem because something was missing. Something missed the mark for Mark. You see, there had, there had been some unmet expectations that didn't settle well with him. The psalmist would remind, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. And where we struggle in our life is that our expectations can get us off track real fast. So unmet expectations cause us to immediately disengage. We say, I thought he would be different. I thought she would act differently. I thought they would do such and such. I didn't think this would ever happen. And the list could be written and go on and on of our expectations that we put in so many things here on earth. And the psalmist reminded us to pray this prayer. My soul, wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. So expect nothing more and nothing less. God is is always in control. And then number four, the results of failure have a tendency to follow us. As we read, as we read in Acts chapter number 15, we'll read it again. Some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, so this is about 53 AD, it's been years since John Mark has departed them, there have been a lot of success stories that Paul could give. He probably has scroll after scroll of experiences that he and Barnabas have seen. If you will take time to read chapter number 13, chapter number 14, chapter number 15, there is so much that is going on and so much that is being accomplished for the name of Jesus Christ. And now Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go back and travel to some of the churches they've planted, they've poured into, and that they have seen take off. And they're getting ready to go, and Paul and Barnabas have this discussion. Barnabas says, you know, I'd really like us to take John Mark. Can you imagine Paul's response? Now remember, Paul's bold, unwavering, doesn't back down. Paul's probably telling Barnabas, hey, Barnabas, where was Mark back in Acts 14, verse 19 and 20 when I was being stoned? Hey, where was Mark when we were having conflict in discussions with false teachers? Where was Mark when we had issues of illness? Where was Mark when my days were bad? Where was Mark when I didn't know which way was up? Where was Mark when I was hopeless? Where was Mark through this journey? That may have been Paul. Barnabas, he's the encourager. He's the positive guy. He's like, well, Paul, there's been a lot of time since then. I, 
I, I've heard report that he's sorrowful for what he's done. I, I think there's some, some, some restoration that can take there. I think there's some encouragement that can be done. And, and I think that, you know, listen, we're not perfect. We need to overlook this. We need to work through this. We need to understand that there's a second chance, that there's new opportunities. And I think this is a good opportunity. And all of a sudden, these guys go head to head with it. They can't see eye to eye. And so they part their separate ways. But Barnabas never backs down. Barnabas, the encourager, the faithful teacher, the loving friend, embraces a broken John Mark and says, would you come with me? (laughs) And so they go. Verse number 39, Barnabas took Mark and they sailed unto Cyprus. We would find that great works were done with these two men, that God blessed their work. Barnabas was not breaking away from the will of God. Barnabas was not rogue. Barnabas was not doing something against God's will. Barnabas was doing what God had called him to do, and God accomplished great works through these men. But we find here that the results of failure have a tendency to follow us. Blemishes on our credit report, blunder at work or school puts us on probation. The Better Business Bureau takes negative notes against a business. There's battered relationships because of our selfishness, bad reputation because of our past. There's broken trust. These are results of failure that have a tendency to follow us. And unfortunately, they follow us for a long time. I know that I'll look at a review on Google or some of the reviews places online for a restaurant or a hotel or an event, an entertainment venue, and we'll go on there and somebody will have a bad report, one star out of five, and I want to see what they say, and it's like five years ago, and I'm like, let's read this. Now they say, no, that's five years ago. Let's move on. There's better things. I'm like, no, there's something that happened at this place. I want to know what it is, and so I get bogged down with something that is carried with them for five years. I'm not going to that place. There was a restaurant here in town that I went to a lot. I know that doesn't shock you, but there was a restaurant that I went to here a lot, and I'm not going to tell you which one it was, because I want you to still go there. But as I was sitting there, I saw something little crawling on the back part of the chair. And I said, what in the world is that? And of course, Bailey and Brooklyn were seated facing Natalie and I, and I didn't want the girls to freak out, because roaches just make me curl up like a baby and cry. And so I stood, stood up. They're wondering what in the world I'm doing. I grabbed a napkin. I went to reach around them. I went to grab that roach. And I was going to be the hero for the day until I missed him and he got away. <laughs> now, that's been two and a half months ago. I haven't darkened the doors of that nasty place since then because I know that roach is about this big by now because nobody has caught him. All right? And I'm not going back to Spice ever again. Oh, I mean, I'm not going back to that restaurant ever again. They owe me a free lunch. But I tell you, the memories will last. They just have a, they have a way of following us. The memories of hurt. Hurt is something hard to get over. Paul refused to take him. It had to have been fueled by hurt, even on Paul's end. This caused major conflict between two really good godly men. There was no trust from Paul, and probably on Barnabas' end, a very little yet healing trust that he was willing to give. And then there's the legitimate concerns. Don't you hate it when legitimate concerns seem to win the day? Legitimate concerns. So many decisions we make in life to do or not to do happens because of legitimate concerns. And those are part of discernment. So so don't take all legitimate concerns and throw them out the window and pretend like they're not a part of your mind and clear thinking. 
because they are a part of discernment that God gives us, a sound mind, clear thinking, good focus, and discernment. But also understand that there's sometimes where God wants us to look beyond the legitimate concerns and say, let's give them a second chance. That's the employer that gives you another chance, though you have really messed up at work. It's the principal who says, I'll give you another week to prove that you want to stay in this school. It's the spouse that says, you have beaten and battered my emotions, my life, but I know the legitimate concerns are not our final destiny, and let us work through this. The legitimate concerns by so many people can cause them to make decisions that go against us. But how often it is where these defining moments, the deciding factors are removed because somebody is like Barnabas instead of Paul and says, I want so much to give you a second chance. And then the last thing here, I think number five is so crucial. Failure does not have to have the final say. Aren't you thankful for that? Failure does not have to have the final say in your life. Failure does not have to write the script for your marriage. Failure does not have to define your parenting. Failure does not have to set out the pathway for your career and employment. Failure does not have to define where you're going to go spiritually from here to there. Failure does not have to have the final say. Because I want you to look at how God takes this messed up story and makes it a big deal. Look at the beauty of this second chance. As we jump ahead, Max, uh, Acts chapter 15, and we'll see in verse number 39, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark and they sailed unto Cyprus. Oh, there's so much there. But this was just really the beginning of what God was going to do in the life of Barnabas. Because as we'll find all through the New Testament, there are other opportunities. Those he served with Barnabas because Barnabas is going to give him this chance. But after leaving with Barnabas, Mark disappears from the historical records of the early church for the next 10 years. 10 years. But that was not the end of his story because he shows up in unexpected places. He's discipled by Peter. Peter understood what shame, regret, and restoration really were. And when he writes the church in Rome in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, he writes in that verse to the church at Babylon, or as he is writing to this church in Rome, as he gives them this thought, he reminds them that Marcus was his son, his son in the faith. So Peter has not discontinued him or, or disconnected from him. He has not counted him out. He has said, I want to still be identified with Mark. And then Paul, we know that Paul later in life is going to look to, Bar, uh, to Mark as encouragement and comfort. He would write in 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of his last letters he would write as a, a statement of, I have finished my course, I've kept the faith. And, and as he's writing this, he tells Timothy to bring Mark with him because he was useful for the ministry. That's a pretty big difference. Paul would also write to the church at Colossae that if Mark were to come to them, 
He says, if Mark comes to you as the church in Colossae, he says, receive him, Colossians 4.10. Now, we know what receive means. We receive a lot of people and we receive a lot of things. There's a difference, though, in receiving a package from UPS and you gain it, you get it, and it's one of those things where it's like not exciting. You throw it to the side. I'll get to it later. You go about your business. But then there's the package that comes from UPS that as soon as they knock on the door, because you've been watching out the window to see if the brown truck is arriving, and as soon as they come to the door, you rip open the door, you sign where it goes, you grab the box, you take it in, you take the scissors, you rip the tape, you whip it open, you take all those nasty, whatever those little things are called, and you get out your package because you have been looking forward to this. You have received it. Paul says, receive Mark when he comes to you. If he comes to you, receive him. You know what that means? That means with arms wide open, welcome him. Don't just say, ah, Mark, come on in. Yeah, we, we've got a place for you. There's that troublemaker. You watch him. Don't give him responsibility. He's going to abandon us. He says, welcome him with open arms. Receive him unto yourself. That was Paul's admonition to the church at Colossae. Then he writes at the end of his letter to, in the uh, book of Philemon, he included in the ending of this letter that among others, Paul, or Mark, was a fellow laborer, and for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, May the Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, Mark. So a big difference here. Now Barnabas, or excuse me, Mark is now an encouragement and comfort to Paul. And then the last thing that I want to point out is that Mark wrote an evangelistic book called The Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament, and when you look at the Gospel of Mark, this was written by the, uh, the runner. The, the abandoner, the one who deserted. This is written by John Mark. And he focuses on the kingdom of God and the reality that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The predominant theme of the gospel of Mark is discipleship. Ha! This would be somebody that would have a real good angle to discipleship, isn't it? A guy whose life was all set up for the right thing. Great family, good friends, amazing teammates, and right on task. But yet in the middle of all of that, he wandered, departed, and abandoned what God had put out for him. But there was a man by the name of Barnabas, a man by the name of Peter, and Paul would soon come around 10, 15 years later, and these men would say, let's take him back. Let's give him that second chance with open arms. Let's use him for the betterment of the ministry, for he is good for the work of the ministry. So Mark would write about discipleship. Mark in this whole thought of discipleship, he would put that it is essentially this relationship with Jesus, not merely following a certain code of conduct, which many people fall into too often, but reiterating this relationship with Jesus. This fellowship with Jesus makes the heart of the disciples' life, and the fellowship includes trusting Jesus, confessing Jesus, observing the conduct of Jesus, and following his teaching while being shaped by a relationship with Jesus. Discipleship also means being prepared to face the kind of rejection that Jesus Christ had faced. And Mark would record the life of Jesus with this angle as he was being led by the Holy Spirit to record these words, focusing on the kingdom of God and the reality that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but talking so much about the relationships that Jesus had while here on earth. Speaking of this relationship, 
with Jesus Christ. If you're here today and never put your faith and trust in Him alone for your eternal salvation, Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. So the truth today is that the struggles are real. The, the, the mess-ups and the damage we cause are just parts of life and reality. But Jesus Christ wants to give us that second chance. Jesus Christ, with open arms, wants to receive us and extend His amazing grace. And by faith, we put our trust in that free gift of God called eternal life in heaven. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise or slow concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering, he is patient to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The story is told about Thomas Edison, and he was working on a, a crazy contraption called the light bulb. We all appreciate that. It took a whole team of men 24 straight hours to put just one light bulb together. So the story goes that when Edison was finished with one light bulb, he gave it to a young boy helper who nervously carried it up the stairs to the destination for the bulb. Step by step, he cautiously watched his hands, obviously frightened of dropping such a priceless piece of work by Edison and his team. Now, you've probably guessed where the story is going, and you can guess what has happened by now. The poor young fellow dropped the light bulb on the floor and it shattered into a million pieces. It took the entire team another 24 hours to make another light bulb. And finally, tired and ready for a break, worn out, stressed, and probably a little irritable, Edison was ready to have his bulb carried up the stairs. And as he approached the young man with the bulb, he chuckled and said, yeah, right, and gave it to the older man. No. Edison took the same boy and said, here's the next bulb. Please be careful as you take it upstairs. The story finishes by the boy not dropping the second one. Amazing picture of a second chance. True forgiveness. Looking beyond the the circumstances, the looking beyond the things that would tell us, well, history would tell us that the legitimate concern is that this boy cannot be careful with a priceless light bulb in his hands. I have legitimate concerns to tell me he is not worthy to be used again. But I'm so thankful that our Heavenly Father does not look at us in those same eyes. For He looks at us and knows the story. He looks at us and sees. But you know what happens with God? 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And never forget, Christian, about this reality that He takes our sins and separates them as far as the east as from the west. So when we come to the throne of God, God, it's me again. Man, you remember last week I came to you and I, I was messed up and devastated and I repented and God says, wait a minute. No, I, I don't remember that. Well, well, God, I mean, well, at least you'll remember a month and a half ago because it was a bigger mess. And I remember coming to you so broken and worn down and frustrated. And, and God, do you remember how repentant I was? God says, no, I, I can't recall. He says, today's a new day. 
And we will say, well, God wants to give us a second chance, but for me, it's been a third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. No, I'm sorry, sir or ma'am, it's not a third chance, fourth chance. Because God forgives you of your sins, removes it as if he never knew it existed. And now the new time you're coming with him, with the backpack of burdens and the trail of devastation that you have left behind, you throw it at the throne room of God and you say, God, it's me and I need your help. He says, let's talk. Let's take care of business and let's get up because I want to give you a second chance. And God uses us in spite of our messy lives and he makes a second chance such a big deal. So Mark, there's a lot of Marks out there. Get up and let's go to it because God's ready to use us yet again. Hey, be careful as you carry your light bulb, but if you drop it on accident, just run to your knees. Cry your heart out to God because he's ready to pick it up and give you a second light bulb to be the light of the world. Father, I don't know why this truth of a second chance is so dear to my heart. But Lord, I know that you've used this message this week and today to remind, remind my weary heart of the truth of who you are and the truth of who I am as a man. So I thank you for your love and faithfulness. And all around this room, I don't know how you choose to use this, but I pray that you would, that you would encourage us today to go from these doors and to go out into the world and to be the light that you've called us to be and that we will make an impact and a difference, not because of us, but because of who you are. So Father, thank you for the second chance.